how many of you would like to be in a spot in life where you're lacking nothing? Show of hands. Lacking nothing. My Bible is open right now to a passage that tells us how we can be lacking nothing. Not bad, huh? Let me give you a little teaser. We still won't give you the address yet, but here, here it is on the screen. And look at this. Not only do you get to lack nothing, but you get to count it as what? Joy. You guys are going to get... <laughs> real. This is exciting stuff, unless some of you know what's coming. That could be it, too. You've read the book of James before? Yeah, so you know what's coming? All right. Okay, that's why you're bracing yourself. You're going, uh-oh, I know what's coming. Oh, we got a, we got a group. All right, well, whether you know what's coming, whether you're not, don't, don't know what's coming, here it comes. All right, first, this is James. We're going to go read uh, this passage. We'll now uh, plug in the words that were missing there earlier. Here it goes. We haven't had an easy teaching for the last, like, five weeks, so why start now, right? All right, here we go. Count it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you... Meet trials of various kinds. Oh, man. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So there it is with, the, uh, with, with uh, everything not, not cut out. And if you... I won't do a show of hands on this one, but... but um, but if you're at all like me, I'll, I'll just confess, I, I wish that we could just stick with the edited version, you know, and, and leave that part out about the, the, the trials, the meeting trials, that, there's, that, there's, that we're supposed to count that as joy. I wish we could leave that out. And if you're like me and you feel that same way, um, don't be too hard on yourself because that's what our culture teaches us. Uh, it teaches us the idea that we should just we should be able to cut that out. We should just we can have the joy that the joy is not something that you associate with, with trials and, and testing. In fact, this might be one of the only places you've ever seen the words joy and trial and testing all in you know put together this this kind of way. For most of us, um, joy is winning the lottery. Right? That would be joy. Winning the lottery would be joy. Or uh, joy would be great taste, no calories. That would be that would, that would be joy. Joy is downhill with the wind at your back. Joy is smooth sailing on a beautiful summer day. That's joy. Joy is not testing. Joy is not trials. Well, which begs the question then, um, why? why? Why this? So, in fact, let's, let's, as we dig into this today, let's start with this question. Why would a Christian count trials as joy? I could get it if we were supposed to count it as, hey, buck up and... Let's go. But it says to count it as, as joy. Well, if we're going to dig into this, let's start with verse 1 of James. We, we started at verse 2. Let's go to James chapter uh, 1, verse 1. And here's how it opens. This is interesting. We, the Bible doesn't just include stuff for no reason. Um, and it seems like this is just an introduction, but there is so much here. Let's, let's dig in just a little bit. Uh, it says, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. James 1.1. 1, 1. Now, let me give you a little background on this. If you're not familiar with, um, with the Bible and, and don't know who this James is, this James, there's a couple different James in the Bible, um, but this James, this is uh, James, one of the leaders in the early church, and he's also the half-brother of Jesus. That's the, the James that is attributed, that this book is attributed to, with the Holy Spirit inspiring his words. And it's interesting that that James, instead of appealing to, hey, 
This is me, James, the leader of the church, the half-brother of Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't approach it that way. Sometimes biblical authors will do that. They'll appeal to their authority as an apostle or whatever. Here he comes and he says he's what? Right out of the gate. James A. He says, James, a servant. And then as we already read in verse 2, he says, he, he refers to the people as brothers. And so what James is doing right at the beginning of his letter, he says, I'm not coming to you as one in great authority. He says, I'm coming as a fellow servant of God. And I'm coming to you as a brother and sister in this. As if to say, we're in this together. What he's going to be talking about here in, in just a few words, he's going to be, he's going to be talking about trials and, and tests. And he's not exempt from that. So he's coming from, I think, a, 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 and it's worth noting the place he's coming from. And then it's also worth noting how he addresses his letter. He says this is to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Now, this evokes emotional language. This is a whole series in and of itself, but let me just quickly condense it. What he's referring to here is the history of Israel and how God had promised these folks they were going to have a land of their own. They were going to be this great nation. And as a result of their disobedience, they were scattered. The nation of Assyria came in. The nation of Babylon came in and, and scattered and exiled God's people. And now, at this time, as this is being written, they're being occupied by Rome. There are a whole lot of nations in between then, too, that had occupied them and persecuted them. So when he uses that language, he's, he's, he's talking to people who understand trials and testing. And it's going to get worse for them. Because this was written, some scholars, scholars say, around you know, 40, 50 A.D. And in 70 A.D., Rome was going to surround Jerusalem, besiege it. You, horrific things were going to happen there. Not long after that, Christians would be killed for sport. James himself, who wrote this, within, I believe, 15 to 20 years, was martyred himself. He was killed for his beliefs. So this is, this is not somebody just saying, hey, here's some theory, you know, or look at me, I've got a happy life, and so I can just say things like count it joy. To me, that is exceptionally important that he... Um, that he starts his letter this way. Because I've gone through trials, and I, I've been tested, and I continue to be tested, and you do too. And no, none of us, we don't want some Yahoo going, oh, my life's great, but you should count it as joy when you're tested. This is somebody say, I've been there, he says. And I'll be there. So to me, how it opens up, I think that's very, very, very significant. Okay, so then... After verse 1 1, and we have this written in your notes, um, he just he launches right in. And I think that's interesting too. He says, Greetings, let's go. You know, it's not greetings, fluffy, 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 fluffy. It's just greetings, and then he jumps in. And that's that's spoken like someone going through trials. Doctor, give it to me straight. You know. Or when someone comes and they have all of the blah, 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 they're bringing you counsel. It's just like, just cut to the chase. What do you what do you what do you want to say? Don't tell me. Isn't that how it is when you're going through trials? All right. So he just jumps right in. And his first words are, after that, he goes, count it. And I'd encourage you to circle that because every, every word here in this next sentence is so loaded. He says, count it. And that's so important. When you're going through trials, this isn't going to be something you're just going to feel like. You know, he, this isn't something that's just going to come easy. This isn't going to be the teaching we're looking at today is so counter, not just intuitive, it's counter heart, heart 
emotive. It's, it's counter almost everything. And so it's not just here, just hear this out. And of course you get it. He's like, no, you have to count this. You have to measure this. You're going to have to calculate this. You're going to have to weigh what I say against reality because this is not going to be an easy teaching. So he jumps in, he says, count it. And then he says what? He says, count it all joy. Encourage you to circle that too. Um, the, the phrasing all joy could be interpreted a number of ways. Um, the different people who try to translate the, the scriptures into English, they struggle. They're like, I don't know what the right word is. You can see because different interpreters and scholars use different words. Some say count it all joy. Some say count it pure joy. Some consider it, uh, some say consider it wholly joyful. Uh, the NLT says, consider it as an opportunity for great joy. One of the things they all agree on is that, that James is not just saying, hey, tolerate it. When trials come your way, just, you know, suck it up and go. You know, that, that's, they're all in agreement that that's not what he's saying. He's saying, count it as a deep joy. So he's, he's saying what he appears to be saying. Count it joy. And then the next word, he says, count it joy. And then what's the next word? It's in your, in your notes, open book. Count it joy when. Or brothers, my brothers. Okay, sorry about that. I left that part out. My brothers, we already talked about that. And then, then when. Count it joy, my brothers, when, not if. Did you catch that? Count it joy when, not if. Show of hands on this one. How many of you know that trials are not an if, they're a when? Okay, they are. So, so there, he, he just says it like it is. He says, count it joy when. All right, and then let's not stop there. Let's complete the sentence. He says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Underline that if you haven't already in your notes. Count it joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Let's examine that phrase because... Again, let's see what he's actually saying, and then we'll get into why could he possibly be saying it. Let's break this word down. And, I, and this is interesting. I'd never done a word study on, on this passage before, as many times as I've looked at it. And it's even richer when you do. Look at this. The word translated as meat, in, in my translation anyway, is a word, get this, that suggests an unwelcome and unanticipated experience. It's the same term. I found this fascinating. The same term used that is used here when it's translated as meat in James is the same term that, that is, that is used in the parable of the good Samaritan when a man fell into the hands of robbers. So when James is saying, Hey, count it joy. When you meet a trial, that's the same meat that, that happened when this guy who was walking down this path got pounced on by robbers, the same kind of thing. So he's not, James right away, he's, he's not just saying, okay, count it joy when you charge after a trial, when you say, okay, here I go, I'm ready, I'm prepared, I'm, I'm seeking this thing out, I'm going to go pick a trial and, and, and get stronger in this area. He's like, count it joy when you get ambushed out of the blue by this robber. And then look what happens, how that even ties into the next word used, trials. Oh, if we can go back, sorry, um, Dory. Uh, when we go to trials, look at this. The Greek word used there for trials is linked to a word from which we get the English word what? Pirate. So if you really wanted to stretch and paraphrase this thing, count it joy when pirates pounce on you like a robber. What in the world? Isn't that crazy? 
Isn't that crazy? And, and these, these pirates are of various kinds, it says. And boy, that is true, isn't it? The trials come in all kinds of, every shape and form. Some of the trials are there just because you're stupid. And you do disobedient things, right? Sometimes you have those kind of trials. You did something disobedient to God. You have the natural consequence of that. And now your trial is, okay, am I going to admit before God I shouldn't have done this? And am I going to accept the consequence? And then am I going to not do this again? That's one kind of pirate, one kind of trial. There's another kind of trial where God just wants to take you deeper. You know, Jill has been rightfully giving us some of these trials in worship. Dan does it too. You know, where they're encouraging us to go deeper. Forget about the people around you. Forget about all this kind of stuff. Forget about whether or not you like the song. This is, not a, this is about a time of, of worship. A trial. A trial for you maybe today was, you know what, that song does not describe my reality right now. Well, one of the ways to try to get to that reality is to, to sing it out to God. Say, I want this to become my new reality. So there's these different kind of trials here where God wants to take you deeper. And then there's the kind of trial that's the hardest of all. And that is the trial where it was, it was completely undeserved and it's just evil that came your way. You know, where, where you get you get that diagnosis completely out of the blue. You know? You're like, what did I do to deserve this? Nothing. Nothing. It's a product of living in a sin-fallen world. Or the person who was abused. What did I do to deserve this? Nothing. Nothing. It's because we live in a fallen, evil world. And those are the hardest ones. But they come. You're just sailing along. You're, you're in the safe harbor those are the ones that are sometimes the most tragic. You were, you were just sitting at home, and a pirate broke in to your home. You know, so there's these different types of trials. They, they come all kinds of various kinds, and they happen. It's not if, it's when. So then that's the what joy, James is saying. He's saying count it joy, pure joy, when you experience these trials. Okay, why? Why is he saying that? What, could he, what, what possible joy could we get from that. Well, he gave us the answer. Let's go back to it. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. We, we, it's at the top of your notes. We read it earlier. He answers that question. He says, Count it joy, joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let, don't miss this, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. These pirates, they can serve a purpose in your life. They can if you let them. If you let them, even if this is something that, was, that came from the pit of hell, God can still use it, even if he didn't send it. Some trials he sends, others he doesn't. At the very minimum, he can use these things that come your way for his plans and his purposes. Let's dig in a little bit deeper. Let's look at the word testing and, and, and look at what that, what kind of imagery that invokes. Well, the root of the word translated in our Bibles as testing means approved character. There is something that can happen in a test where your, your character is shown to be what it really is anyway, and it can be proved, it can be strengthened, it can be firmed up. Um, it's interesting, there's a... a um, uh, kids, kids DVD series called uh, VeggieTales. Any of you familiar with VeggieTales? All right, there's there's a, an episode they've got with pirates, and and they have these pirates who what? Don't do anything. 
you don't want the pirates to not do anything except cause pain in your life. And that'll happen to you if you don't do it, what it says here. You can have pirates come in your life and they do nothing more than, than fracture your life and, and cause sorrow and depression and cause you to question God. That can happen. But let these pirates not be pirates to do anything. Let these be pirates that, that God can use to, to strengthen you. All right, so that's a little about testing. Um, let's take a look at this other word that's translated in different ways. If you, were, if you have your own Bible open, you're going to see that there, it's, it's all over the map, but yet related. This idea of steadfastness is not a direct translation. It could be translated as steadfastness, that the testing of your faith produces a steadfastness. It, it could be translated in English, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It could be translated, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Um, one of my favorite definitions comes from a podcast I listened to not too long ago. It was actually that podcast that was a trigger to say, you know what, we need to extend this um, series that we're in by one week. We were originally going to have a five-week series. I thought, boy, we got to, this is a simple way to wreck your life is fail the test. And, and this pastor in that podcast, he said that a literal, more literal translation of, of that word would be to remain under, to remain under. This word we translate as endurance or steadfast or whatever, it's, it's a word that could be to remain under. And as I think about that imagery, that's powerful imagery. That is powerful imagery. Um, it's, it's like this. Uh, if you have a trial come your way, that trial can feel like a weight on your shoulders. And at first, this isn't so bad, but I didn't even make it through on the last hour. We'll see how I do this time. I'm going to talk really fast right now. Um, but this is, this is what happens with the trial. And as Americans, what do we do when we feel the weight of the trial? What's our impulse? Pump it. Pump it. <laughs> For you. All right, that's good. All right, that's, that is not what most Americans, you are. <laughs> most Americans, what do they want to do? They want to throw it off. They want to get out from underneath this thing. They want to get away from the trial. And so here's a couple types of pirates. And, and what if instead of getting out from under, instead of just running away, instead of just seeking any exit ramp you could, instead of bailing or folding, that's the other thing you feel like doing right now. The other thing I feel like doing is just laying on the ground, you know? Um, but what if instead of that, what if instead of fleeing or folding, we did this? When you get that kind of pirate that is the consequence of disobedience, instead of trying to hide your sin, Instead of trying to ignore it, instead of calling it, oh, it's just a product of this and that. What if instead you let the weight sink in and you said, God, I have sinned against you. And you let that sink in. And instead of just, just going, well, whatever, and moving on, what if you instead said, no, this, this is not okay. This needs to change. I need to get help. I need to get help from God. I need to get help from others. What if, if you let the weight of that thing, that trial, sink in a little bit? And the other one, with God taking you deeper, what if when you're challenged, you go deeper instead of not going deeper? What if instead, you know, you said, okay, God, here we go. I'm going to press into this. And this is where you have to walk by faith, not by sight. Because often when God takes us deeper, you don't feel the warm fuzzies. You know, it is that thing where it's okay. God, I'm going to trust you right now. I'm going to trust you with my mind and my will. And not just because it feels good. And then that undeserved peace, when those come your way, are you going to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you even though I don't understand this. I'm going to cry out to you. I'm going to get help. And this was interesting. I didn't even think about this before. Even Jesus himself, think of the example he set. All of these details that are included in the scriptures. As Jesus was carrying his cross, what it, one of the accounts says what? It says that he 
that he fell and, and he couldn't even carry the cross the rest of the way. Was it because he had given up in here? No, it wasn't because he had given up in here. It's just he, he couldn't, he physically couldn't do it anymore. And sometimes when, when these trials come our way, are you willing to say, I physically can't do this anymore, but God, I'm not giving up. Send help, send help. You know, I need someone else to help me carry this cross. Different kinds of trials come your way and we're tempted to bail. We're tempted to either fold or flee. But what if we let the testing help us to reach new levels of maturity? And I'd encourage you to write this down. What if we let the testing of our faith help us reach new levels of maturity in Christ? That same pastor who um, I referenced earlier, he said something very interesting. He said he believes this, this idea, this word that means to remain under, he said that is, in his mind, the second most important word in the Bible next to faith. He said because this is, at least as he reads James, he says this seems to be the conduit through which all the other virtues full, flow because it says that you'll be perfected as you do this. Could it be that remaining under in a God-honoring way, not in a you know twisted kind of way, um, but remaining under, what if... That is how we become more generous. What if that's how we become more loving? What if that is how we become more patient? You ever, how many of you tried, whoever prayed for patience or humility before? What comes your way? And we're not exaggerating. What comes your way when you pray for patience in trials? Because what do you need probably to become more patient? Learn how to be patient or humble. Oh my word. Hate praying for humility. Because, boy, I look stupid every time I do. And it's, well, you're humbling, you know. So, so it's that kind of a thing. W- you know, what if we, 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 did, we did it? That, could it be that's the conduit through which these other virtues flow? This idea of maturity, it is, it is big for James. It is big for other biblical authors, too. They, they, this idea of being mature, becoming more mature. And I think about North American Christians. We are among the most immature Christians on the planet, aren't we? We are among the most immature. We have more access to more teaching and more music and more freedom than almost anyone, not almost, than anyone who's ever lived. And yet, where's our answer prayers? And where's the character, character, character change? How many of the people who call themselves Christians in America, they don't look anything like Christ? Could it be that one of the things is, is that we just... We don't let this truth sink into our lives. And we don't allow ourselves to sit under teaching that is hard. Or we don't allow ourselves to, um, to really reflect on what God wants to do in us right now. We just want, get out, get it. God, take it away, take it away, take it away, take it away. Instead of saying, God, what do you want to do right now through this? How can I honor you through this? Letting it press in, let its weight get on us. And again, James says this maturity thing is so important. He, he uses some, some pretty powerful imagery. He talks about a spiritually immature person. You're like a wave tossed about in the ocean. Doesn't that describe a lot of Christians in America? You know, it's, it's oh, oh, I'm feeling a pressure. Uh, I'm just kind of blown about by, by cultural currents. I'm blown about also I, by, by teaching that may or may not be true. I just kind of blown about. Instead of I'm like a ship with a rudder going full steam ahead, you know? The other imagery he uses, he, he talks about it just in this passage right here, if you were to keep reading. He says, an immature Christian, they're like a double-minded person, unsure of everything they do. 
And then then he has a direct relationship between your answered prayer and that, you know? And you don't want to be double-minded. You don't want to be like, well, I don't know. Is this God? Is it not God? Is this should be? You don't want that. You want to be single-minded, focused. I know what he wants. And if it's hard or if it's good, I I know what to pursue. You don't want to be double-minded. And what's one of the paths out of this? Well, James is saying it, you know? Part of the equation. This isn't all of Christian teaching in one verse, but this is part of it. And are we embracing this part? Part of it is, are we learning what it means to remain under trial and, and to live, live according to that? Um, here's how I, I really like how the message paraphrases the passage we've been looking at. These are the, this is the same passage we've been looking at. There's a guy named Eugene Peterson, I believe his name is, who, who created a paraphrase of the Bible. And boy, I think he's getting at the truth just using some, some other words. Look at, look at how he words this. He says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come from you from all sides. A gift. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything what? Prematurely. Now, should you just try to look for trials and stay under them all the time? I don't have a trial. I got to go find one so I can be a better Christian. No, remember, it's unexpected. It comes your way. And, and, and you don't want to remain under it any longer than you have to. That's not what the Bible's saying. But that prematurely, boy, that's well-worded. Don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work in you so that you become mature, well-developed, not deficient in any way. Boy, that's, that's well-worded. To realize that, that God won't let anything be wasted. Whether he sent it or whether he didn't send it, he won't let it be wasted if you let him into this. And I've got a great reminder of this every Sunday, this podium up here. We've had this, um, we've had this since we moved here. And it was created, ironically, get this, how God brings all this together. Um, Paul's not still here, is he? Uh, Paul Storsved uh, made this for us. And then he got called away to North Dakota, which is uh, not exactly heaven, but uh, not exactly hell either. So he, but anyway, he, 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 um, he created this for us and did a great job. His craftsmanship is, 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 is extremely well, well done. But what happened as a result of the, the trials and the testing of this, as we take it in and put it out each week, it split. This, um, this, this, this podium broke. There was a, a place that, that snapped right down the middle. And that was some good symbolism because that, the reason we didn't just not use it anymore, I'm like, oh, that's powerful because that's us. You know, we're, we're broken people. We got our flaws. Boy, this is great. But it was wonderful. Jer- is Jeremy here today? Jeremy Rockford? One day, Jeremy, um, he comes and plays bass a lot for us. Um, he, he came and said, do you mind if I tried to work with that? And I'm like, go for it. And look what he did. This is a f- picture of the top where the crack was. And afterwards, you might want to come up and take a look at it. You talk about a profound visual every Sunday for what... God can do in our lives where you take something that was broken and not only do you fix it, you make it better than it was even before. And what I've heard from folks who are craftsmen, real craftsmen, I've heard that a lot of the glues that they use are actually stronger than the wood itself. And in fact, that, that's what happened here. It was actually the wood that split, not his, his gluing. And I don't know what kind of you know, process went into this, but, this is the, but, but what God can do, he can be like that glue where what was once broken, if you let him into it and you let this trial do its work in you, that can become the most God 
honoring strongest part of your faith. And then there'll be another trial down the road that'll reveal something else. But, but then he does, and, and what's so beautiful, not only will you personally get stronger, but then what does the world see when they see how you responded under trial? They see what God did. And going back to that pastor that I've referenced now twice, he said, you know, as he talks to people in his congregation and he'll talk to physicians and he says, boy, the physicians, they can see in the, in the ER room. He's, he knows some folks in the ER room. And he says, what a difference it makes when people of faith come in versus people who have no hope outside of this world. And he said, well, you know, the love is still there. There is still, let's say it's your, your own child and your child is is." critically hurt, and you bring, there's the same passion and care and love for that child. That doesn't change. But what does change is your hope. Your hope that I don't have to rely only on the doctors. I can, I can call out to God. And also, watching what happens as others come around, brothers and sisters, and, and not just saying, oh, just think happy thoughts. It'll be okay. But brothers and sisters who are like, Let's, we're going to pray with you and for you. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna press into this. And if it is something that is a spiritual attack, we are going to pray against it. If it is that we should be praying for the doctors to have wisdom, we'll pray for that. If it's to God that you want to be glorified through a miracle, we'll pray for that. And how many of you have ever been a part of those things where the, the miracle happens and the doctors go, I, this wasn't supposed to happen. Hands, anybody? You've seen that, okay? Yeah, I've seen, it happened now too. But then the world sees this. They see a difference. And what's again so hard as, as a pra- person who's trying to be a practicing Christian is our reputation. Because our reputation is, 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 is not demonstrating a lot of times the marks that we're supposed to demonstrate. One of the things that we're supposed to be known for <laughs> as believers is our love for one another, our unity. You know? And, and look how the, the, the Christian church is split and so often over stupid stuff. Jill was telling me today about, um, she was reading, doing some research on one of the songs that we're uh, going to be singing here to close the service. And there's all this huge debate. You should have said this. No, you should have said this. You shouldn't have told, given permission to change this word. You should. It's like, we're going to fight over that. Okay. So one of these marks, it's supposed to be unity in Christ. We don't look like that. Well, one of the other marks of, a, of Christians is how do we respond under trial? How do we respond under testing? When the world sees us persecuted, when the world sees us um, in a hard spot, what do they see? You know, so there's an opportunity for us not only to experience this personally, but also to show um, an unbelieving world what the power of God can do. Here's an example, Thessalonians. Here's, here's um, the Apostle Paul. He's commending first century church folks, saying, guys, oh, what an example you're setting. We give thanks to God. This is 1 Thessalonians 1, starting with verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering your work of faith and the labor of love and the what? There's that word, steadfastness of hope. Steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You become imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word, what? Went with really easy? Boy, you just prayed to become a Christian. Everything got better. No more problems. No, look at it. You, you received the word in much affliction with the joy. There's that word. Joy of the Holy Spirit. That you became an example. Your faith has gone forth everywhere. 
So not only is this something that can have a personal benefit for you, you can become stronger. You can have stuff squished out of you that shouldn't be there. Not only that, but then the world can also see there's a God who can do this for them as well. In fact, that's one of the beauties, one of the the beautiful things about Christianity is that we don't serve a God who says, all right, um, you pass this test and then you come to me. You know, you think back to the number of religions. Think of all the tests you have to pass first to prove you're worthy. God says, he, inv- he asks, he invites us to invite him into our trials and tests because he knows what it's like. This is out of the book of Hebrews. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, starting with verse 15, says this. We don't have a high priest referring to Jesus who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. And there's a very close relationship between that word tempted and testing in the Bible. So he has been tested. He has been tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Do you see that? He's, he, he gets it. He's been there. He understands. He's been tested beyond what anyone in this room will be tested on. And he, he's tested. He's not saying, hey, I did it. You do it. What, look at the end. It says, you can find grace for what? To help in the time of need. He gets it and he wants to help. He wants you to invite him in. It's not God standing back at a distance, watching us struggle. It's God saying, I get it. And there's things I can do in your life through it. Will you let me in? And others who bear my name. That's why I encourage you to write down this. Um, It says this uh, in your notes. You can put this down. Christ serves not only as our example, but also our source for strength and guidance. Christ serves not only as our example, I mean, he did it, he went through it, but he's also our source for strength and guidance. It's interesting, I asked Jeremy about this wood that he used, and you know what he said the name of the wood is that he used? Blood wood. Blood wood. There's a source of strength that comes from the shed blood of Christ that's accessible to us as we trust in him. All right, well, let me, let's see if we can summarize um, what we can take away from here. We'll see if we can summarize it, and then number three is new, and we'll transition from that. Um, it says this. Uh, in your notes, you can write this down. You gain strength and you gain maturity when you first and foremost recognize that this trial is an opportunity to imitate, serve, and honor your master. Whether it came from God whether it came from your disobedience or whether it just tried to hijack you and you didn't deserve it at all. In all three of those situations, there's an opportunity here for God to be honored and for your faith to be strengthened. And, but, but here's the hard part. Number two, re, are you going to remain steadfast rather than fleeing or folding? Are you going to remain steadfast? And then here's this last piece that, that, that I, I, I'm embarrassed um, 
in a lot of ways on this one. Number three says, reach out to God for wisdom. The reason I'm embarrassed is I've quoted James 1.5 more times than I can count. I start almost every meeting with James 1.5. Um, here's, here's, here's where it is. And this is flows. We read two through four. Here's how it continues. Verse five says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him or her ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to them. And I think it's okay to ask God for wisdom on any subject, so I'm not going to stop praying that. But the thing I've never recognized before is it flows from what we were talking about. When is the best time to ask God for wisdom? Probably, well, when you need it. But, but when, according to the context maybe, when, when we should we ask God for wisdom? When we're in trials. He invites us to ask for wisdom. In fact, in this passage, he says, when you ask for the wisdom, don't doubt. Don't doubt because he wants to give it to us. And boy, when we're in trials, we need wisdom because it's different kinds of pirates. God, what do I need to do? Is this something I need to rebuke in Jesus' name? Is this a spiritual attack that we need to just take authority over? Or is this a, not my will, but yours be done? Is this a, give wisdom to the doctor's moment? What is this? God, give me wisdom. Teach me how to pray. What a great prayer. Asking for wisdom in the midst of a trial. And God wants to give it to you. Well, it's interesting. It's beyond interesting, the timing of all this. Um, Originally, as I mentioned earlier, we were going to do a five-week series. And then we were going to jump into the book of John. And and, and I felt like, no, we're supposed to add this teaching. And I felt we're supposed to add this teaching this week. And so we added this teaching this week. So Monday was the day I started opening up the scriptures and started trying to get a start on this teaching. And Monday night, um, something happened with one of my friends um, or one of the families that, that we're close to. And how many of you are on the Emanuel Children's Home mailing list? All right, so you know what, where we're going to go with this. Um, this is a picture from Happier Days of a family that I, I have. I have this picture up in my office closet um, at home. And, and I, every time I see this, I try to remember to pray for this family. Um, it's my friend Jonathan, wife Sonia, and then their two kids, Elizabeth and Josue. Josue is now nine. This is an older picture. And uh, Elizabeth, I believe, is 13. Well, Sonia, in the picture there, on Monday night, she's in the car down in Juarez. She's in her car, and, and she's got her son, Josue, with her. And shots ring out, and her son's hit. And she, she as she's able to pull over um, uh, and, and try to see what's going on, the police... Uh, surround her car, um, and they take her into custody because it was the police that had shot into the car. And when they recognized, oh, we made a mistake, they started to frame her and started to cover this up. So she sat as her son is, you know, he, he was hit bad. He, he lost part of his thumb and his, his hand. Um, there was some damage there, but what really was bad is he had bullet go in under his hip and it, and it shattered. And, and so multiple surgeries, and she doesn't know. She she's doesn't have contact with him. And she is sitting in the back of one of those little white, you've done on Juarez, one of those little white pickups probably, sitting in the back as the police collect their story of how they're going to frame her for this because they're going to say it's attempted murder. She tried to run over the police officers, self-defense, you know, all that kind of stuff. Here's a, picture, here's a, a screenshot, El Paso Times, and this is just breaking news this week. And fortunately, looks like Josue is going to pull out of this. Um, un- in a remarkable turn of events, um, Sonia has been released from custody. Here's my question to you. 
if it was still Monday night, if it wasn't now Sunday, where you knew some of how this was going to play out, if this was still Monday for you, what would your response be to that test? You know what Sonia said? She wouldn't, again, I'm not going to glamorize this. She would not welcome this test. She doesn't want this test. She, oh, all the above. But what did she say in that article? She said, made me stronger. Made me stronger. The very thing that James promises can happen for those who will trust him, even in things like this. You've faced trials, you will face trials. And when they come, will you invite God into it or not? Well, we're going to close with a song, and here is the, as the I'm not even going to use the word irony, I'll just, I believe this is the Holy Spirit weaving this together. Um, this, the, the song, I asked Jill a month ago, something like that, hey, can we close with a certain song? Um, it's a song where the imagery is powerful. It talks about being able to focus so much on God that instead of the trials, that, that these afflictions, they seem to almost dissipate because we're so focused on, on where we should be. And it's interesting, this song I was introduced to by my friends in Juarez. I had never heard it before they did this song. In fact, Armando from the children's home, he sang this song here with us. It's a song called How He Loves Us. And the imagery is profound, but what is even more beneficial than just the, the words is this idea of what is it that's going to sustain you in these times? You know, are you going to focus on the trial itself or are you going to let this be something that just puts you into full-on, God, I'm going to need to trust you and look to you 100% right now? You know, when you live in a city like Juarez where where it is so filled with corruption and so filled with poverty and all this kind of thing, this is the only thing that can sustain you. What if we as Americans who don't all, aren't as consciously aware of all that stuff all the time, what if we took that same response that they did down there and take a song like this to, and to, as an opportunity to gain new perspective? So let's enter into this. Let me pray, and then if you could lead us in this, this song. Father, we turn to you now, and, and, and we ask that you would make this time holy. We cast out everything so we could focus on you, that we could see ourselves in this song as, as we are this tree that is allowing itself to just be blown by you, the hurricane, where as we see your grace like an ocean, we could just give up trying to swim for a distant shore. We could just sink right now into your mercy and your grace that it may be sufficient for us. So Lord, use this time right now to connect us with you, to strengthen us. Lord, may this be, right now, for those who are facing trials, may this be one of those moments, bloodwood moments, where you could put a patch on our lives that is stronger than that which was broken. So Lord, do this. Make this time yours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.